Good morning. Steve had asked me right before service what 12 or 15 minutes might do to my sermon, and Brenton was standing there, and he said nothing. But it'll have an effect on our lunchtime for sure. I want to thank Steve for that talk. Elisha is one of my favorite Old Testament characters, and I'm thankful for his knowledge, his in-depth knowledge and the study that he's put in because I, for one, benefit from that. I hope you do too. But I don't have a very long lesson for you this morning, so you can breathe out. The, uh, it's the first sermon of a new year. It's the first sermon of the first Lord's Day or the first month of the new year. And for those of you that might think it's easy to prepare such a sermon, I challenge you to do next year's for me or Rob. Because I thought long and hard about what I might have to say to you this morning. And it's no easy task. Essentially, what I have to say here this morning in some small way might set the tone for the rest of the year to come. And in part, it's because man has a penchant for validating his or her life. And we do that by celebrating a new year. That's one of the reasons why we do that. New beginnings. We love that. I guess in, in, in some aspect, it's biblical that new beginnings are part of how we validate and record our life. And part of that is making resolutions. Now, this is not going to be a resolution sermon. I think Robbie addressed that very well this morning in the opening statements. That most of the time when we make resolutions, by now they're already done. And I, for one, don't make resolutions per se. And as Christians, I think we already ought to be resolved to a few things. So this will not be that. But in thinking this week of how I might start the year off, I came to the conclusion about resolutions. And this is what I came to. It is hard to appreciate the value of what you haven't fully trusted in. I'm going to say that again. It is hard to appreciate the value of what you haven't fully trusted in. This week I was reading in the book of Proverbs about the virtuous woman. In chapter 31, I was clearing off my desk yesterday, as a matter of fact, and I found this paper that Kaya had written about the virtuous woman. I don't usually call Kaya out in sermons, but she gets a shout out today uh, because this was a proud dad moment. My daughter had eloquently stated many aspects of the virtuous woman from the text, and though I've read it before, I've not considered Those things from this perspective, it was her perspective. And if you know me well enough, you know that I love that narrative. I love the narrative of the virtuous woman from the text so much because of who the author is. And how it shapes the coming of Christ and the pivotal role in genealogies. And I also love that text because for whatever reason... By the grace of God, I'm married to one. But one of the aspects of the virtuous woman that Kai wrote down struck me in a way that though I've read it a zillion times, it let me know for sure what I was going to preach about this morning. Kai had gone verse by verse notating each of the characteristics of the virtuous woman, and she called them 
pearls in the strands of life. And I thought that was very profound. And while some of these pearls, she, she goes on to write, were not yet attainable because of her age, she also said that these were what her and her other, the other young women in her life ought to be working towards. It's in those moments when you find out who you are. Because it was all I could do, not to just like suck my thumb and cry. I was so proud. She began in verse 10. And she went through verse 30. And there were 20 characteristics that this woman possessed that Kaya saw as valuable. And she put them in her own words. But the one that struck me is in verse 11, and we'll get to that. In a second. This is what primarily sticks in my head. And as the new year begins, we find a a redetermination to resolve. To start again with the best of intentions with the things that we ought to be doing. Right? Whenever we resolve to be on a diet, it's because we ought to be eating better anyway. When we resolve to exercise, it's because we know we ought to be exercising anyway. But I want to take it a step further than that, more than the physical that Steve had mentioned at the end of his Lord's Supper talk. Diet and exercise are usually on the top of that list, and by February they're long forgotten. But what if this year, what if we all as a group decided to be resolved about something together? And now, in suggesting this, I'm not saying that many of us here don't already do this, so don't misunderstand me. What I'm suggesting is that there are things that we can do together, and if we are resolved to keep them, just imagine what we could do as God's people in this local congregation, what we could do in this community. I'm going to suggest to you two things, and I challenge you, and this is the key, I challenge you to do whatever It takes to do whatever it takes to keep them. To do whatever it takes to be resolved to trust and to be trusted. The first of those things is going to be in Proverbs 3. We'll get to Proverbs 31 in a minute. Proverbs 3. Read along with me. Solomon writes, my son... Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. I'm going to say that again. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. May I suggest to you, if you've not already picked up on it, resolve to trust in the Lord. With all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. How hard is that? How often 
Are you in the driver's seat of your life? Where you think you have complete control over everything that's going on and you realize in some small moment you have but a small part in that process. Who then are you trusting? We say that we trust the Lord, but we do not act like it. If you don't, why? Why not? Why aren't you doing it? And only you can answer that. I can't answer that, and I can't suppose or assume any motives in here for why we don't, but the truth is is that we don't. And I want to challenge you to resolve to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do whatever it takes. If it means getting on a diet, if it means some plan, if it means giving up something, whatever it takes for you to lean more on God and less on yourself, I want you to do that. I'm challenging you to do that. It's exactly the way it's presented here, that I will do whatever it takes to lean less on myself and more on my God, and then that's exactly what I'll do. But we could do it together. We could hold each other accountable to trusting more in the Lord, to resolve to do that, that I will trust God, not reservedly, but fully, not occasionally, not Sometimes, but constantly. And not circumstantially, but completely in every circumstance. So often, we trust God when it's convenient for us to trust God. But when your life is spinning out of control, who do you turn to? That's the right answer, Josh. But we don't, do we? I challenge you. I challenge you to trust in the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 30, the New King, New King James Version translates this, this way. It says, who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if you know? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. There are a few things in life. There are a few things in life as difficult to come back from as betrayal. Think about that for a second. There are a few things in life to come back from as difficult as betrayal. Peter teaches that the spiritual betrayal of the prophets of old in the Old Testament accused Israel of, by comparison in 2 Peter 2.21 saying, For it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Because betrayal is difficult to come back from. It's not impossible. But man, it's hard. It is hard. And therein lies our hope. Therein lies our incentive and the motive 
for us in whatever circumstance we find ourselves, either the betrayed or the betrayer, to put our trust fully in God. To be resolved to do that. To do whatever needs to be done, whether it is confess and repent, whether it is to grit my teeth and forgive with full vulnerability the one who has betrayed me, that I will do whatever it takes to trust God and take him at his word because make no mistake, y'all, someone will betray you this year. I'm no prophet. I just know human nature. And this year, you will be betrayed. You may even betray someone. And either circumstance is hopeless. Hopeless without trusting God and doing what he says to do about it. Whether that's confess and repent or to forgive fully. The word trust here in the Hebrew means to flee quickly for refuge. Not typically how we view the word trust, but that is the definition of the Hebrew word used in the Proverbs. To flee quickly for refuge. Refuge from what exactly? What does the world offer that we need refuge from? Disappointment. Discouragement. Disaster. Will anyone here be disappointed this year? Will anyone here be discouraged this year? Will will anyone here experience disaster? You better believe it. You better believe it. Does the world encourage us to be godlier? Does it hold up our arms like the men of old? Held up Moses' arms when the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea? Or does it discourage us and erode us and eat away at us? Disappointment and discouragement and disaster is exactly what the world offers us. And the trust we have in God will define how these things affect us. To flee for him for refuge. To resolve to trust him with all of our heart. I challenge you this morning to do that. Be resolved to trust. The second point I want to make Going back to what I talked about with Kaya. In Proverbs 31, beginning in verse 10, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I will trust you to do that on your own later. But it was here that I found the inspiration for this lesson. And I found it in my own daughter's handwriting. It says in verse 10, who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. That's the one that hit me. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. So he will have no lack of gain. I could not help but think of my own wife. And in all the ways that she is virtuous to me. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. His 
heart trusts. That speaks volumes. That speaks volumes. There is a serenity in that statement. There is a serenity there. Dare I say that transcends serenity. A comfortability that says, I can trust my wife. Remember the statement we started with? The statement that we started with was it's hard to appreciate the value of what you haven't fully trusted in. What does that mean now? Knowing that I have a wife that my heart safely trusts. Men, how about you? Can you fully appreciate the value of the woman sitting next to you? Because in her, your heart safely trusts. I can't talk about it too much. I'm blessed. In any circumstance, in any circumstance, in any situation that I'm aware of, I can trust her with all of my heart. That I can trust that my wife will trust her God with all of hers. That she will be resolved to trust in the Lord with all her heart. Therefore, I can trust in her. That she will do what's right. What's that worth? What is that worth? And now, if that's true of the wife, men, is it not equally true of the husband? If trust is worth anything to you, Yes, men, I'm calling you out. If trust is worth anything to you, because I'm calling myself out, then is not peace of mind also worth something to your spouse? Men typically have a harder time with this, and that's why I'm calling you out. Is it not worth something to your spouse? What about your family? What about your friends? What about your brethren here? Us, me, your associates. If trust is worth anything, is it not also just as important that I resolve myself to be trusted? Not just resolve to trust in my God, but be just as resolved to be trusted. Men, I don't know of many of the things that I can do as a husband that benefit my life and my family and my wife more than to put her mind at ease. And more often than I should, I haven't done that to the best of my ability. And so I challenge you. I challenge each one of us to resolve to be trusted. It ought to be among the most important and the fact that I realize the value of what I fully trust in. And yes, I realize that there's a fine line 
in which we do not put our trust in men because men will let you down, but gives us no reason and no excuse not to strive to be trusted. I can't control what someone else does, but I absolutely can control what I do. And as Christians, one of the characteristics that we must resolve to reflect in our actions is that of being trusted, just like the virtuous wife. And that begins with the small things. In Luke 16, Jesus says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, Who will entrust you to true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Have we been trusted with the truest of riches? And I tell you that we have. We've been entrusted with the truest of riches. The words of life, we have been entrusted with the most precious of tasks, and that is seeking and saving the lost with the truest riches. The words of life. But Jesus also said that it is our influence that will make the difference. In Matthew 5, Verses 13 and 14, he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown down and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, in the same way. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If we cannot be trusted, listen to me, if we cannot be trusted, our light is dimmed and our salt has no flavor. And no longer are we good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. If we cannot be trusted in the small things, then in no way can we be trusted in the greatest. And I'll say it again. It is hard to appreciate the value of what you haven't fully trusted in. The people we are trying to save will not value the words that we have to offer them if they can't fully trust in us. That's not just a play on words, y'all. It's the truth. And believe me, I've struggled with this most of my life. And it's only been in the last 10 years or so that I've begun to really see the value of it myself and in my own life. And I could build a mountain of regret for all the times that I have not been trustworthy. 
But let me ask you this. What percentage of your life, what percentage of our life together is spent as the assembled church? Three times a week? Mandatory? Compare that to the percentage of our life spent alone, yet public as the unassembled church. They say that integrity is what you do when no one's looking. And it is that quality of our character that makes us trustworthy, that makes us trusted. So then, since the percentage is greater that we will be the church unassembled than we are the church assembled, can you trust me to simply do what is right when you don't see me? And I, you, when I don't see you. Can we resolve to be trusted as Christians, assembled or unassembled? Can we resolve to do that? Can we be resolved? I resolve to be trusted. Because to be anything else is betrayal. It's just true. And as often as I've been betrayed, I have also betrayed others. I am no saint in any of this. I dare say none of us are. And so how do we get there from here? How do we resolve to not only trust in God with all of our heart, but to resolve to be trusted and trustworthy? We are commended to seek the things above. In Colossians chapter 3, turn there with me. Colossians chapter 3. Read with me, verses 1 through 17. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are earth, that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ, in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. You might want to underline that in your Bible. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now... You must put them all away. Can Paul trust us to put these all away, as he says? To put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Obscene talk from your mouth. That's a big one. Do not lie to one another. You want to be trustworthy, don't lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, you have put on the new self. You have put on the new self. 
You've put on the new self. Which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek, nor Jew, nor circumcised, nor uncircumcised, nor barbarian, nor Scythian, nor slave, nor free. But Christ is all in all put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and to be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I'm challenging you to resolve to trust God, to resolve to be trusted, and you do that by seeking the things above. Have we entrusted, have we been entrusted by God to carry these things out? so that our light may be seen and our salt may have flavor? Can we be trusted? If we first put our trust in God with all of our heart, then I say yes. We can be trusted. There is a quiet confidence that comes about from being someone who is trusted. Because we will have fully appreciated the value of that in which we fully trust. We will have truly resolved to be resolved. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you to do what's right. Each one of you. I trust you to do what's holy. I trust each one of you to do what's acceptable to God. And I want you to trust me too. That we will have this trust together in one greater than ourselves. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, you haven't trusted God. You haven't fully put your trust in the one who is greater than all of us. Jesus says, come unto me all that labor. And are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He will free you, not just from the consequence of your sin, but from your sin. And you can be one who is trusted, because you put your trust fully in Him. And if you're here this morning and you've fallen, like I said, the world the world doesn't offer us anything but discouragement, disappointment, and disaster. And that eats away at us and it takes its toll. And if you're here and it's taking a toll on you, you can become trusted again by putting your trust where it ought to be. If you need the prayers of the congregation, if you need to be baptized for the first time, I pray that whatever your need is, you'll let it be known now as we stand and sing.